the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Idi Amin would be seen as an antichrist. The butcher of Uganda. He was called the butcher of Uganda, because again, he butchered many of his own people. So there are a lot of people, when you look historically, that would fit the, the idea of being Antichrist, lowercase a, like John is talking about there in 1 John 2.18. But then there is the Antichrist. There will be one individual who will emerge on the world scene and will end up being a global dictator. Do you ever wonder what the end of the world will truly look like? Is it going to be a global warming that gets us all? A massive meteor hitting Earth and wiping us out like the dinosaurs? Or maybe it will be famine or disease? Well, as followers of Christ, we don't have to guess. God has laid out His whole plan for us in the book of Revelation. Pastor Gary is making his way through that book now, so come along for the ride find out the story of the end and discover the happy ending in store for the church. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 13 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Let's pray. Lord, we come into your presence tonight. We are thankful that you are always so accessible. You tell us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And the only reason we can come boldly is because of what Christ has done for us. By ourselves, we have no right to come into your presence. But through Christ, who paid the price for us as our intermediary, we come through him to you, Lord. And we're thankful that we can make our requests known to you. And so, Lord, no matter what is going on in our hearts or in our nation, we just cast all our cares on you because you care for us. We are anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord. We make our requests known to you. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You are sovereign over the nations, Lord. You're sovereign over kings. And so we pray, whatever the outcome of the election, that there would be peace in our land and that you would accomplish your good purposes. And so we look to you, we trust you, and we thank you for this time we can open up your word. Lord, speak to us. Thank you that you've given us a glimpse of these things that are to come, that we might be ready, that we might be prepared, that we might have more of a burden for the lost in our world as we see the days approaching. So Lord, teach us now, instruct us, 
Through your word, we love you and we give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 13 brings us right in the middle of the timeline here because we are uh, a little more than halfway through the book of Revelation and we find ourselves in this period of the seven years of tribulation, which is outlined between Revelation 6 and 18. When you look in your Bibles where we are right now in chapter 13, there is this storyline between chapters 12, 13, and 14, and this is what the storyline looks like. In chapter 12, God gives us the explanation of his redemptive plan through a woman and a child, and we talked about how ultimately the woman was a picture of Israel, that the Jewish nation gave birth to a Jewish Messiah, that child is Jesus. And uh, through faith in him, anyone can be saved. And, and yet, that redemptive plan has been opposed, that's chapter 13, has been opposed by the dragon, which is Satan, the beast of the sea, we'll talk about the beast of the sea tonight, that's the Antichrist, and the beast out of the earth. Both of those two are mentioned in chapter 13 tonight, so we should, Lord willing, get through the discussion about the beast out of the sea and the beast from the earth, which is a reference to the Antichrist and the false prophet. So they stand in opposition to God's redemptive plan when the tribulation period comes. Those two are about being the Antichrist, a global world dictator, and the false prophet, a global religious leader. And between the two, they are adamantly opposed to God's redemptive plan that is still going on even through the tribulation period. People can and do get saved during the tribulation period. It's just much more difficult and a lot more trying, and you you lose your life over your faith during the tribulation period. And then chapter 14, which we will get to maybe next week, is the proclamation of that plan by three angels. It's interesting that the only time in the Bible when angels are given this opportunity to present the gospel is found in Revelation chapter 14. The beautiful right and responsibility of sharing the gospel, God has entrusted to mankind. But why is it in chapter 14 that he entrusts it to an angel specifically who is going to be sharing the gospel? We'll talk about that more next week when we get into chapter 14. There's a reason why he entrusts it to an angel in sharing the gospel where, where otherwise it's normally entrusted to, to people, to you and me. But we're here in chapter 13, and so uh, let's take a look. I'm going to read, um, this, this chapter is divided into two sections. The first section from verses 1 down through verse 10 has to do with the Antichrist, otherwise known as the beast rising out of the sea. And then verse 11 through the end of the chapter, through verse 18, is about the false prophet. So this is kind of like the You know how Batman and Robin were like the dynamic duo? Okay, these two here are the demonic duo, all right? And they are, they are the villains of the story. And they are, they are working in concert to advance Satan's agenda in the earth. So if you think that Satan's agenda is bad now, I mean, just try to imagine during a period of the tribulation time when you have these two world figures who rise onto the world scene and try to advance a demonic agenda, even more so than than some of the things we see around us today. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 first. We'll talk about the Antichrist, and then we'll look at the last half of the chapter and talk about the false prophets. So here we go, verse 1. Then I stood, John writing here, then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now this this is a vision that he's been given here. And I saw a beast 
rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. Who's the dragon? Satan. So the Satan gives the Antichrist his power, his throne, meaning his authority, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. We'll talk about that. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon, Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast saying, who was like the beast who was able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's the second half of the tribulation period, three and a half years. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb." Slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. All right, let's pause there for a moment. So, so here in chapter 13, Satan continues to wage war against the kingdom of God. And it tells us here that Satan, otherwise known as the dragon, raises up two imposing figures onto the world scene during the last days, who come to some measure of prominence at the beginning of the tribulation, but it isn't until halfway through that they really exert their authority and their power. And those two imposing figures are, of course, here the Antichrist and the false prophet. One, the Antichrist is a political global leader. He's he's a world dictator. The other, the false prophet, is a religious leader. He is, a, he is the leader of what will end up being a one-world religion. So we're going to end up, the Bible tells us, with a one-world government led by a dictator known as the Antichrist, and there will be a one-world religion that will be led by the false prophet. And these two work together. Now, when we talk about the Antichrist... We need to understand that there is a difference between Antichrist, capital A, and Antichrist, lowercase a. Because the Bible tells us that there is one Antichrist, capital A, but that there are actually many Antichrists, lowercase a. And here's the reference for it. For those of you who are taking notes, it's 1 John 2.18. This is what John, same, same writer of the book of Revelation, in one of his other epistles, in 1 John 2, verse 18, he wrote this, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, capital A, is coming. Even now, many antichrists, lowercase a, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. So John writing here in his epistle of 1 John says, listen, there is coming an actual individual who will be known as the Antichrist, capital A. But then there are also people who operate with spirit of Antichrist, people who will rise to power and prominence in the course of world history 
who will be inspired by Satan, led in evil ways, who will promote evil and propagate evil upon people in the world in the course of their leadership. Of course, when John is writing here, someone on the world scene in his day that would have been familiar to the saints in the first century was the Roman emperor Nero. Now, Nero was clearly an antichrist, small a. He just wasn't the antichrist because we know from history that Nero was brutal. I mean, he killed Christians by the thousands, and he took great delight in torturing them too. History tells us that he would dip Christians alive in tar and then light them as human torches in his garden. So that's the Roman emperor Nero. Now, there are some people in the interpretation of the book of Revelation who hold to a view. I don't, but there are some who hold to this view. It's called the preterist view. The preterist view of the book of Revelation is basically that all the events of the book of Revelation are not prophetic. This is the view of the preterist. The events in the book of Revelation are not prophetic. They're actually historical, with the exception of the return of Christ, which is still to happen. So those who hold to the preterist view, again, which I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's a, it's a good view, they would see the book of Revelation not as prophetic, but as more historical, and thus the preterists would interpret Revelation by saying that the Antichrist has already come. And, and in fact, the preterist view, when you look up, if, if you like to research this kind of thing, the preterist view of who the Antichrist was is Nero. So they, they look at events that have already happened and they say, no, the book of Revelation is just written in, in uh, typology to refer to events in the first century. John was actually writing in kind of hidden language to talk about events in the first century and that the Antichrist he's referring to is Nero. Okay, now again, I don't, I don't buy into that, but that just is a preterist view. But there have been other, I do believe, however, that Nero was an antichrist, small a, like other people in world history. Clearly, Hitler was an antichrist, small a. Now, again, at the time, in the 1930s, the evangelical church was convinced that Hitler was the antichrist. And, you know, panzer tanks were pulling up outside their churches, and evangelical Christians in the, in the late 1930s were thinking, this is the end times, Hitler is the Antichrist, Mussolini is the false prophet, and they began to, you know, wrap their theology around world events, and it's, it's sometimes dangerous to do that. We have to step back and say, okay, clearly Hitler was an Antichrist, but he wasn't the Antichrist, as horrible as he was. He wasn't the Antichrist. There are other people that historically have been viewed as an Antichrist, Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, the dictator of Russia, was, is known historically as the greatest mass murderer of all time. He killed an estimated 30 million of his own people. So was he Antichrist? Well, of course he was that's demonic. I mean, that's evil. So he's inspired by some satanic influence there. No doubt you're, you're butchering 30 million of your own people. By the way, Joseph Stalin, Joseph Stalin was the one who said, quote, the people who cast the votes don't decide an election. The people who count the votes do. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, friends. I'm just telling you, he's the one who said that. Idi Amin would be seen as an antichrist. The butcher of Uganda. He was called the butcher of Uganda, because again, he butchered many of his own people. So there are a lot of people, when you look historically, that would fit the, the idea of being antichrist 
lowercase a, like John is talking about there in 1 John 2.18. But then there is the Antichrist. There will be one individual who will emerge on the world scene and will end up being a global dictator. Now, interestingly, the word Antichrist does not appear anywhere in the book of Revelation. It only appears in John's other writings. John writes about him four times in 1 John and two times in 2 John, specifically using that word Antichrist. But otherwise, the name Antichrist doesn't even appear anywhere else in the New Testament and doesn't appear once in the book of Revelation. But it's become such a commonly known name that, you know, even people who don't know their Bibles and aren't Christians, when you say the Antichrist, you know, people have some semblance of of knowledge of, oh yeah, it's some evil world leader. And so even though the word Antichrist doesn't appear in the book of Revelation, the word that appears is beast. That's the word that is used for him, and that is the word that is used here in chapter 13, the beast who rises out of the sea. So here are a couple of titles and names for the Antichrist. Again, the word beast is the preferred word that describes the Antichrist in the book of Revelation used 28 times, but his title is also the man of lawlessness, NIV uses that title, or son of perdition, New King James mentions that title in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He's known as the foolish shepherd in Zechariah 11. We're going to read from Zechariah 11 tonight. And also he's known as the king who exalts himself from Daniel chapter 11. We're going to read that passage as well. In fact, if, if you would, just put a place there in Revelation, but go over to your Old Testaments to the book of Daniel, if you, if you can find it for the moment. If not, if you just want to listen, I'll read it to you. But Daniel chapter 11 where the prophet Daniel writes about the Antichrist and uh, refers to him as the king who exalts himself. And there's some detail in Daniel chapter 11 that I want us to see as we just kind of get an overview of who the Antichrist is and, and what he's going to be about, even though we, we don't, we, you know, we can't identify him at this point. Uh, some people have asked, you know, will, will, Will the rapture occur before the emergence of the Antichrist, or will we still be here to see the Antichrist on the world scene. That's an unknown. He could be on the world scene now, but, you know, just has not really emerged, obviously, to prominence. But I'm not sure that we'll even be here by the time that he's, that he's known. But in Daniel chapter 11, uh, Daniel writes about him. I'm just going to read verses 36 to 39. And he says this, Daniel 11:36. Then the king shall do according to his own will, He shall exalt and magnify himself. So this king is, he's referring to the Antichrist. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Right? That's what we just read in in Revelation 13, 6. Shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. That means the end of the tribulation. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. 
But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. All right, your attention for a moment. A couple of things just from this passage that are worth pointing out. So we get a a description of the Antichrist in terms of a little bit about what he's going to do and who he is. One of the things that mentions there in verse 36 is that he shall speak blasphemies against the God of God. So he will curse the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will curse, he will blaspheme the God of the Bible. He is unashamed in doing that. He's very vocal about it. In fact, back in Revelation 13, verse 6, in the passage we read a moment ago, it says specifically, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And so it just vile blasphemies will come out of this guy's mouth. That's one of the characteristics. Another characteristic about him is that he will continue in prominence till... Verse 36 says, till the wrath has been accomplished. So he has power until the end of the tribulation. When Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, which culminates in the battle of Armageddon, then Jesus will overthrow the nations that advance against Israel, and he will destroy the Antichrist by the presence of his coming. Now, not annihilate him. He's still going to be judged, but he will end his power when Christ returns. And then it tells us here in Daniel 11, I want you to notice also in verse 37, it says he will have no regard for the God of his fathers. Now that's an interesting idiom. If you have an an NIV or an ESV version of the Bible, it says he has no regard for the gods, plural, of his fathers. But the Hebrew word is Elohim. Elohim is a word that describes the God of the Bible. Elohim is, is a plural word in the Hebrew. It's interesting because You know, God is a singular God, but he appears in a plurality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it is not inconsistent for God to be known in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures as Elohim. Elohim is a plural word because God is singular but reveals himself in a plurality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the NIV and the ESV translate Elohim literally here in Daniel 11, But New King James settles on what the real context is. And the real context is that the Antichrist will have no regard for the God of his fathers. What does this mean? This is likely an idiom that is a Jewish idiom, meaning that it is likely, this is my personal, I believe this, that I'm not the only one on this. It is likely that the Antichrist may be Jewish, but that he will have no regard for the God of his fathers. He will not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like his Jewish heritage would tell him to do. In fact, he blasphemes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that is that could be an idiom there, the, the God of his fathers. He has no regard for the God of his fathers to let us know that, in fact, the Antichrist may be Jewish. That is up for debate. That, that's my personal persuasion, but that's up for debate. Then it also adds there in verse 37 of Daniel 11, that he will also have no regard for the desire of women. Now, I have, you can read some commentaries, and some Bible scholars believe that might be a statement that he, in fact, will be a homosexual because he, ha- he will have no desire for women. But when you look at, at Jewish idioms again, rather than it being that... 
I think that what he's what it's referring to here is the desire of women in in Hebrew scriptures was the Messiah. Every young lady hoped to be the vessel through whom Messiah would come. It just so happened that in God's providence, he already selected Mary through whom Messiah should come. But it was the desire of every woman that she should have that privilege of giving birth to the Messiah. So it's a Jewish idiom. He has no regard for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has no regard for Jesus. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.